Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. It seems increasingly likely that I really will undertake the expedition that has been preoccupying my imagination now for some days. An expedition, I should say, which I will undertake alone in the comfort of Mr. Faraday's Ford. An expedition which, as I foresee it, will take me through much of the finest country of England to the West Country and may keep me away from Darlington Hall for as much as five or six days. Five or six to be discussed. Well, which is it? Road movie. <laughs> it's a road trip. We're going on a road trip. Welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that is curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. Every episode, we take a book out for a walk into the wild to see if the world of fiction matches up with the real world. Hello, I'm Tim Wright. I'm a digital writer and producer of Immersive Fictions. Uh, and I'm Lloyd Shepard. I'm a digital producer and a writer. And today we are going on a road trip. Yeah, you're very excited about the road trip. Well, we've I done know. the road trip. We are taking out Kazuo Ishiguro's Nobel Prize winner. Sir. Sir. Sir Kazuo Ishiguro. We're taking his book out, The Remains of the Day, uh, in which uh, a butler called Stevens mm -hmm. embarks upon a journey. Yes. We don't even know his first name. Is he actually a butler? I bet his first name's Stephen. Stephen Stevens. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> um, he's so basically going from... He, he's a butler who's worked in Darlington Hall yeah. since, we think, the, uh, after the war, First World War. Between the wars. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and then he's still there in 1956 it's when this July, book is It's set. July 1956. He's working for an American who has bought the house off the deceased Lord Darlington. Darlington's estate. And he's still there polishing the silver. Yeah. So he's a bit of an anachronism by that point. Yeah. And he's pining, although he, he he's so repressed he can't even talk about it, for the housekeeper who left 
20 years before. Yeah. So the locations we're going to, we're going to start in... A, well, we're a, starting in Oxfordshire, are rather we? posh house. We're starting in Oxfordshire. Just. Just, to be discussed. And then we are going to go to drive towards Salisbury. Yes. We've got a rather nice bench to visit. Oh, yes, between, up on the downs, looking between, right across between, the Salisbury Cathedral. Between Oxfordshire and Salisbury. I've found you... You found One me a of the good better bench benches on the dark web, mm. uh, and then uh, we spend the night in Salisbury. From Salisbury, we're going to head into Dorset, where there's a pond. Yes, we're we going to take a you pond. to a pond. We, we found, found a pond, a pond. Uh, and then we're going to go to Taunton. We're looking for a pub. We're looking for a pub always, and then from Taunton, we're going to head off to a very strange sidebar on Dartmoor. <laughs> we're um, looking for the fictional village of Moscombe. We're looking for the fictional village of Moscombe. <laughs> By going up onto Dartmoor. Yeah. We then, uh, I mean, Stevens in the book then drives on to uh, to Cornwall. We didn't do that because the place he goes to doesn't Little exist. Little Compton. And it felt like an awfully long way well, to go somewhere there's that didn't no, I couldn't find anywhere that related to Little Compton. And we finish in uh, in Weymouth. Where the book finishes. Where the book finishes. In Him sitting chapter. on a pier. <laughs> In the end, I decided the most prudent moment in the day would be as I served afternoon tea in the drawing room. Mr Faraday will usually have just returned from his short walk on the downs at that point, so he is rarely engrossed in his reading or writing, as he tends to be in the evenings. In fact, when I bring in the afternoon tea, Mr Faraday is inclined to close any book or periodical he has been reading, rise and stretch out his arms in front of the windows as though in anticipation of conversation with me. So, Tim, in anticipation of conversation with you, <laughs> um, would you like to explain after, where we are? After a short walk on the downs. Oh, we've been for a short walk on the downs. Yeah. In fact, indeed, we are sitting on the downs. We are. In the glorious September sunshine. And we're looking down at a rather lovely, a stately home. We're looking down at Ashdown House, built in the 17th century. Why are we here? Because we're looking for a, a candidate for Darlington Hall, which is the house currently occupied by Mr Faraday, formerly the seat of Lord Darlington. Basically, in the book, there's a description of him starting out his car journey, Stevens, yeah. uh, from Darlington Hall. So well, most we're trying book, to find Darlington Hall, basically. Most of the book takes place in this place called Darlington Hall. Most of the book that isn't about the car journey takes place in Darlington Hall, the yes. flashbacks. Which um, is a completely made-up place, right? It's completely made up. Can I just uh, say, listener, before you get some idea that I'm doing some heavy panting while Lloyd is talking, <laughs> that I have Ship's Dog here with me. Ship's Dog Sydney. And he's puffing and puffing away. Sid, would you like to say something? Um, so I'm Thank afraid for that most of this podcast, you're going to be hearing from Ship's Dog, I imagine. He says the house is in Oxfordshire. Mr. Faraday, as in the piece just read, walks on the downs. Mm -hmm. So the house is on the downs. Mm -hmm. And when he leaves the house, soon after leaving the house, Stevens crosses what he says the Berkshire border. The delight with which you saw a sign for you are now entering Oxfordshire, just a couple of miles back, right. so, was uh, palpable. Kazuo Shiguro, Nobel Prize winning, knows what he's about, places the house in on the Downs and in Oxfordshire. Yes. Can't, be, tr it can't is. be true. Well, it is. Uh, it is now. Oh, it is now. It's only in Oxfordshire now by virtue of the 1972 Local Government Act, Tim. 
We've had this before. We've had this where a bits of Berkshire were nibbled away. We had it with the Dark is Rising. Dark is Rising because it became Buckinghamshire, didn't it? Became it became Buckinghamshire. Uh, and this part of the world, yeah. the downs we're on, used to be called the Berkshire Downs. Oh. Uh, they're no longer called the Berkshire Downs. No, they're called the North Wessex Downs. The North Downs, Wessex Downs. Which is a completely made up thing, um, Wessex. So which, that doesn't exist. But I would probably, one of the reasons they're called the North Wessex Downs is because half of them are in Berkshire and half of them are in Oxfordshire. Oh. And all the stately homes that I can find yeah. that are on the Downs yeah. and in Oxfordshire, not all of them, but most of them, in fact, I think all of them maybe. Um, we're in Berkshire in 1954. <laughs> so when Stephen says, I'm crossing the Berkshire board, he's already in Berkshire. <laughs> I like it. The reason I was excited okay. when we were driving, because we were driving up from the M4, driving north up into the Downs, mm. through Berkshire, mm-hmm. and I was becoming a little bit concerned that we hadn't passed an Oxfordshire sign. And I was like, oh dear, maybe my theory's wrong. Maybe actually this is all still Berkshire and the mm. house is completely wrong. But no, there was a... A nice white on blue Oxfordshire sign, literally two miles yep. south of Ashdown. Perfect. Perfect. So that's the first Q spec demerit. He gets a big demerit for me on that one. That, that, that's something you could just get right, isn't it? It's just. I was saying that Berkshire's a bit like the Donbass, isn't it? <laughs> it's, been, <laughs> it's sort of being disputed and eroded. It's being nibbled at. Nib, it's being nibbled at by yeah. by yeah. They're going to have to have a a, a, a referendum soon. What did Berkshire... To decide that whether they want to be part of Oxfordshire or not. What did Berkshire ever do to the powers that be to be so <laughs> emasculated? There is another. There's a couple. There's another candidate for for the house, and I, I think in some ways it's a it's a better candidate in terms of the house, but it's not in the right place. Mm. Buscott Park. Oh yes. Why did you also, like that one? Which also was in Berkshire and is now in Oxfordshire, oh, right. but it isn't on the Downs. Okay. The reason I liked it is because my sense of the house. Darlington Hall is that it's a rather grand stately home of the kind of 18th century style. Yes. Whereas the this house that we're all... looking at here is much is older. Yes. Smaller. Actually it's only got eight bedrooms. Yeah, I don't think it's small. big enough. No, it's not big enough. It's not big enough. So I think Buscott Park is more likely the kind of type of house yep. that uh, Ishiguro has got in mind. Yeah. But it's not close enough to the Downs. You can't walk out of the house onto the Downs. It's too far away. Yeah. Why I like this one. This was um uh, occupied by the army during World War Two, right, and was near derelict after the war. So, and didn't get bought by the National Trust till 1956, and therefore wasn't done up until then. So, it doesn't fit with Lord Darlington. But since 2010, the tenant, the person who's taken it over uh, the lease, a 41-year lease, it's a bit optimistic for him, I'd say, is Pete Townsend of the Who. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, and he's been doing it up since 2011. Full renovation. Has he been putting up um, pictures? Of Lily? Yeah. (laughs) Well, with a 41-year lease, I don't think he's hoping to die before he gets old. Well, but I, I, I was rather hoping that we come up on the downs and like the American owner in the book, we see... Uh, Pete Townsend taking a stroll on the um, downs yeah. before he chooses to have a, a conversation with his staff. Yeah. That would be good, wouldn't it? That would be quite good. Not to be. So I think this is quite good location-wise. I love it up here. I think if you back m- down... If you bust Buscott Park down to here, it would be perfect. Yeah, but location-wise, lovely.
Kazuo Shiguro. Sir Kazuo Shiguro. Sir Kazuo. Um, just call me Kazuo. Just call me Kazuo. No, sir. He does, he does seem like a fairly easygoing guy when you read the interviews with him. Yep. Uh, born in Nagasaki in 1954. His family could still remember the bombings. Amazing. And he moved to Guildford, of all places, when he was five. Yes. I think Guildford's interesting. <laughs> well, I know why he went to. His dad was an oceanographer. He was. And, of course, Reading and Guildford is the centre for weather science in Britain because yeah. of the Met. Is yeah. I only know this because my son studied oceanography. Oh, OK. He went to uh, he went to university at University of East Anglia. He was one of the earliest... Well, I didn't see people him. On the cre- <laughs> he was one of the earliest people on the creative writing course. Yeah, I didn't see him. You were, were you at University of East Anglia? Mate, I looked this up. Because he was there in 1980. Right. I went to three gigs at the UVA. Okay. Well, he's a big music fan. Exactly. He claims to be a songwriter and guitarist. He's quite strummy and, you know, your your gigs were all probably angular, choppy guitar. Well, it was, uh, I can tell you what it was because I've looked it up on my, on gig list because it's always important to do this. Uh, He wasn't at Teardrop Explodes and the Thompson Twins. They're not his sort of band. He wasn't at Echo and the Bunnymen and the Sound. Definitely not. At K Block. Um, and the last one I did, certainly didn't see him there, but I'm surprised, that is Steel Pulse. We persuaded our divinity teacher that we needed to learn about different religions and that we needed to learn about Rastafarianism. Right. And he took us on on a bus trip to Steel Pulse. Wow. And we okay. all got completely stoned. Yeah. And afterwards, on the bus on the way back, he said, I don't think we'll be talking about this back at school, will, okay. we? will we, lads? So this is 1980? Yeah. So he wrote two. His first book, Pelvia of Hills, was basically his thesis from 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 UEA. Yeah. In terms of the music he likes, the first record I really liked was Tom Jones singing "The Green Green Grass of Home." Not really on your <laughs> radar. Um, and when I was thirteen, I bought John Wesley Harding, which was my first Dylan album, right when it came out. So he was he was into Dylan. He's massively into Dylan. and he's massively into Leonard Cohen. Uh, get oh not another one. So uh, yeah, he's, he, I think he was. He's obviously quite an adventurous young. I mean, he spent he spent quite a long time travelling around uh, North America on his own, getting literally getting on onto freight trains. Yeah, but yeah, and with a guitar, oh, and he was sending guitar. yeah, and sending demo tapes, and sending demo tapes. He was really yeah. serious about it. Yeah, I think that's what he wanted um, to be was a songwriter. Uh, he worked for the Queen Mother at Balmoral Castle as a beater. Mm-hmm. So he's, 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 it's interesting, isn't it? So that must play into this book, you know, that kind of experience. Yeah. He, he studied English and philosophy at University of Kent. I found university dull compared to the year that I'd taken, taken me from the royal family to freight trains. After a year, I decided to take another year out. I went to Renfrew near Glasgow for six months to volunteer as a community worker on a housing estate. And after Kent, he went to uh, he went to UEA, and then his first book, Pelview of Hills, came out of, came out of that experience. Okay. Taught by Malcolm Bradbury and Angela Carter. Ah. who was a big supporter of his. I'm interested that he's gone back to songwriting. Has he? Yes. Um, which I Well, I've not listened to this, but interesting enough, he on his Desert Island Discs, he mentioned that he liked a recording of They Can't Take That Away From Me by the singer Stacey Kent. And she wrote to him and said, oh, do you want to write some songs for me? <laughs> A forthright young woman. Well, that's quite good, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, there's a very good piece in The Guardian, which he, he wrote, about the writing of The Remains of the Day. Yeah. And, uh, he talks about having uh, had his second novel came out, and he'd given up work to work right full-time, yeah. I think in 1984 or something like that. And the second novel, Artists of the Floating World, had uh, had done very well and was getting a lot of... And it, he was basically kind of being sent all these distractions, you know, invitations and all this mm. kind of stuff. And he spent a year... I wrote an opening chapter to a new novel the previous summer, but almost a year later, this is in 87, I was no further forward. So he came up with a plan with his wife. 
that he would for a four-week period do nothing but write, and they called it The Crash. All right. Um, and he said, during The Crash, I would do nothing but write from 9 a.m. to 10.30 p.m., Monday through Saturday. I'd get one hour off for lunch and two for dinner. I'd not see, let alone answer, any mail and would not go near the phone. No one would come to the house. Lorna, despite her own busy schedule, she was a social worker, would for this period do my share of the cooking and the housework. In this way, so we hoped, I'd not only complete more work quantitatively, but reach a mental state in which my fictional world was more real to me than the actual one, which I think is really interesting for this book. He talks about the research, so that, that idea that the book sort of, he's living inside the book, and the book has taken wow. him over is really interesting. But the other thing that he talks about is, is the research. What research? Well, so we talk about this a lot on the time. I would say that by the time I embarked on the crash, I'd consumed a substantial amount of research. He puts the word in quotes. Does he? Yes. Okay. Books by and about British servants, about politics and foreign policy between the wars, many pamphlets and essays from the time. I'd raided the secondhand shelves of the local bookshops, Kirkdale Books is still there, very good bookshop, for guides to the English countryside from the 1930s and 1950s. Full stop. He doesn't mention maps, and he doesn't mention actually going to going the places there. that he writes. So he's literally imagining these places based on from materials. a room in Sydenham where he's going a bit mad. He talks about going a bit. By the third day, Lorna observed me during my evening break that I was behaving oddly. On my first Sunday off, I ventured outdoors onto Sydenham High Street and persistently giggled at the fact that the street was built on a slope so that people coming down it were stumbling over themselves while those going up were panting and staggering effortfully. So he's obviously going a little bit wacky. There's plenty of people who are sort of giggling on Sydney High Street, I tell you. Yeah, it's not not because it's going downhill. Um, (laughs) Do you know what? That's consistent with his first two books. I saw this quote that, because obviously he he grew up in, he was in Nagasaki until he was five or something like that, right? So he, he doesn't have much memory of it. And he says in an interview... He stated that the Japanese settings of his first two novels were imaginary. Right. I grew up with a very strong image in my head of this other country, a very important other country, to which I had a strong emotional tie. In England, I was all the time building up this picture in my head, an imaginary Japan. Right. So, so then when he gives his, his English book, this is English he book. does exactly the same. It's an imaginary England. Yeah. I think everybody around the world has some sort of idea of... Yeah, the, the big English country house from that kind of era, the tea on the lawn, these stiff butlers. It, it stands for something. You know, it stands for this, some kind of older world. Perhaps it stands for some, some, some kind of political system that we don't approve of, or maybe some people do approve of it and are nostalgic about it. it, it it's, it's full of symbolism. It's full of, it's loaded with all kinds of attitudes and history. And certainly when I, when I was writing The Remains of the Day, that, that's what interested me about that. I, I had no kind of particular interest as a hi- social historian about you know, what, it, what, what it would have been like to be a butler at that time. For me, I, I wanted to use that uh, very powerful image that people had never set foot in England, nevertheless had of the English butler, the English country house, English aristocracy. It was quite a strenuous walk the path rising in zigzags up the hillside for a hundred yards or so. I then reached a small clearing, undoubtedly the spot the man had referred to. Here one was met by a bench, and indeed 
by a most marvellous view over miles of the surrounding countryside. What I saw was principally field upon field rolling off into the far distance. The land rose and fell gently and the fields were bordered by hedges and trees. There were dots in some of the distant fields which I assumed to be sheep. To my right, almost on the horizon, I thought I could see the square tower of a church. We are sitting on a bench looking at that very landscape and it is as described. It's stunning, right? It's absolutely stunning. And there, uh, I found can see, you another great bench. I can see the white dots of some sheep over there in the field. Yep. Can't see the square tower of a church, but... We think on the horizon we can see Salisbury Cathedral, but we're guessing. Let me tell you, listener, where we are. We're on a place called Martinsall Hill. So we're very high up on a ridge that then overlooks what is essentially Salisbury Plain, isn't it? Well, Salisbury Plain is over to the Beyond. right as yeah, it begins to yeah, empty yeah. out. So it's looking it's looking down the landscape. I mean, Salisbury's almost due south of us, right? Yeah. So we're looking sort of to the area that is to the immediate east of Salisbury Plain, I would say. Yeah. It's a staggering view. It's nice. It's a nice clear day, so that's good. I mean, it's a bit cloudy but it's, and hazy. but it's you an can Epic s- bench. Ah, uh, well... You know when um, we did Tinker Tailor Soldier's Spy? Yeah. And um, I found a bench on the Quantox that could see where you could... And you asked me then, how the hell did you find that bench? You said, And I said, well, I'm part of the part of the bench network. You've got this thing, so there's, a, there's a dark web of benches. A dark bench. Bench web. lovers. Yeah. It's on the blockchain. And uh, we all know where all the right benches are. Right. And you don't. Is that why there's no one else here? Because they can't access the blockchain? That's right. You're all piddling around on Bench Advisor. We have That's just driven mm. from Ashdown House mm. to here, uh, yes. down a very small B road, the oh, B400. That was fabulous drive, wasn't it? Through the towns of Lambourne and... What was the one we went Ramsbury. Oh, well remembered. Ramsbury's amazing. Ram- if we can get to Ramsbury, yeah. it is literally like a town from the 1930s that's been... It was extraordinary. Just frozen right? in time. If you took away all the bins and the cars... And, and the Teslas, it, it would be, <laughs> yeah, it would, it would be uh, like a, an amazing throwback. Ramsbury, that's So right. we really like the idea that Stevens drives from Ashdown House. Oh, there's no question. And then there was the a B400. huge estate just outside it as well, wasn't there? was there? a huge estate between Ramsbury and Marlborough. Yeah. We don't know what it is. We You're don't know what now. it is. When I was trying to... It, 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 there's a thing called Ramsbury Estates, but there's a hall there and everything. It's really posh and big yeah. and there was there was a guy out there in his check shirt and, his tie shirt and, and, and uh, Lord somebody that was uh, Lord Darlington braces <laughs> wasn't it so you wait for Nazis <laughs> welcoming them in it's Come suddenly on got, in it's suddenly got quite windy here well it's very high up Ooh, um, yes, so I hope you can good. hear this listener but um, yeah so we really like this we we're on the right Stevens route first part of Stevens's journey we've th- we've just done it Ashdown House to Martinsall Hill. Martinsall Hill via Ramsbury and Lambourne. Yeah, we've got the beginning of our cultural trail here. I think this might be the beginning of the uh, the remains of the day trail. It's one of those it's one of those views that you can't really do justice to on a podcast. So we'll share some pictures on the, our Patreon page. We will. Yes. So if you fancy coming here, Martinsall Hill is definitely a place to head for if you've got a spare day. It's lovely. You'll need a car. You will. Uh, Preferably your employer's car, oh. and you need to drive at roughly fifteen miles an hour. <laughs> yeah through every street yeah, absolutely 
and then you'll be getting the full Stevens yeah. experience. Lovely, beautiful. Onwards to Salisbury. Onwards to Salisbury. listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that is curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. If you want to get the second part of this episode immediately, without any ads, you need to go and visit patreon.com and search for Curiously Specific. Yes, there you will find not only access to part two immediately, but there's also a load of all our, our research because we've done some research. We've done some research. Um, with lots of link, lovely links, all the things we mentioned. You can have a one-hit article that has all that information on it yeah um, photos lots of photos and loads of photos of where we've been some a few videos there's a video of the bench there's a video of the bench very exciting you're talking and there's a video of you reading from and the bench. Uh, we always provide maps always provide maps yeah and, there was uh, a tumbleweed is, moment there wasn't there because you suddenly remember that you're having to draw you're I'm, doing this map I'm doing this one <laughs> and it's me doing the map apologies listeners so, uh, so uh, that's just two quid to get quid. all of that. And then for five quid, you can join us on a Discord server where a very small and elite group of people talk about the books that we're going to do in the future. Yeah. Uh, things they can, you can recommend books that you think might be something we could do. Yeah. Uh, and we generally have a Just good old chat, a chat about our field trips and yeah. the history behind these books. That's it, nice. It's uh, nice vibe and in there. they're quite learned people. They, they, they know stuff. And we, we try and chuck up some pictures or from the road while we're on the road Yeah, as you get well. a bit of live reporting. Yeah, which is good. So that's only five quid. So, it's a bargain. Uh, it's a bargain. So patreon.com, have a search for Curiously Specific uh, and enjoy the riches therein. Yeah. Now back to the podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
This evening, I found myself settled here in this comfortable guest house in a street not far from the centre of Salisbury. It is, I suppose, a relatively modest establishment, but very clean and perfectly adequate for my needs. The landlady, a woman of around 40 or so, appears to regard me as a rather grand visitor on account of Mr Faraday's Ford and the high quality of my suit. On looking out of the windows, one saw on the opposite side of the street a bakery displaying a variety of pastries, a chemist's shop and a barber's. Further along, one could see where the street passed over a round-backed bridge and on into more rural surroundings. We're in Salisbury. We're looking at a round-backed bridge over the River Avon. Yes. Uh, Crane Street in Salisbury, mm. just round the corner from the High Street, which goes into the uh, Cathedral Close. Yep. Which is beautiful, isn't the it? Cathedral. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. I've never seen Salisbury Cathedral before close up, and it was staggering. But we like this, don't we? We like Crane Street because it, it, it feels like the kind of place mm. that could have had a couple of guest houses along it. Yep. Uh, it's just up from this roundabout bridge. There aren't very many old bridges left in Salisbury, but this is one of them. Oh, look, there's a bat. And there are bats on the river. There are bats flying around, picking up insects at the end of the day, yep. in the dusk. Bats yep. in the dusk. Yep. Um, it's very, very pretty, Salisbury, isn't it? It's lovely. The bits we've seen, anyway. You've not been here before. I've never been here before, no. I've only stopped here once, I am enamoured of the bits I've seen. It's very charming. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, and the river's gently flowing by. It's quite a sort of shallow river. It's quiet going as well, isn't it? Going really under busy. this old um, bridge that's got how many channels? Four channels? Four channels three channels? Under it, yeah. Four, maybe. And then right opposite, when you go across the bridge, there are two houses there that look like they could have been guest houses. Yep. And opposite are two shops that could have been a bakery and a chemist. And a barber's. Yes. Uh, now one's an Indian restaurant and one is a cafe of some yeah. sort, isn't it? So well, it's that type of building, isn't it, that could easily have yeah. been... Could be but anything. it all that fits, and you could look out of that window and see the bridge, and I then you literally go turn right at the end of the street, and you're looking at the cathedral. So we're giving uh, Mr. Ishiguro this one, are we? I think this we're is saying he may have done his research. Well, it, a thing I liked that you said, which is what we can deduce from. Well, we were saying, why does Stevens come here? Yes. Because it's not really on the way it's to where really he needs to way. go. Why does he go all the way and to And why Salisbury? does he want to stay here? Does he wa- is it because I said, well, he's got that fun- funny guidebook he's got that the he's funny found invented in Lord Darlington's library. Yeah. And maybe Sol- Salisbury Cathedral was sort of much talked about in that, and he felt he had to yeah. follow the guide in, of the book. Yeah. The other reason might be, of course, that Kazuo's guru has actually been here. You see, that's, I like that. <laughs> is the reason the character has to be there is because he's been there. Because he had actually done some on-the-ground research. I'm amazed, therefore, that he doesn't do a huge diversion back to the University of East Anglia. <laughs> to, do a, to do a writing course with Malcolm Bradbury. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that's the rules... It's not on the... It's not really Wherever on the he's been, that's where the character has to go. Because that's just how it works. German delegation comes to London. Headed by Herr von Ribbentrop, Hitler's ambassador at large, the diplomatic mission arrives at Croydon Aerodrome. This is the first tangible result of the consultations in London, the bringing of all parties together. What will transpire at the conference table and how the various points of view are to be reconciled are other matters. But we may say in the official phraseology that some progress has been made. It is probably apt at this point to say a few words concerning Herr Ribbentrop. 
It is, of course, generally accepted today that Herr Ribbentrop was a trickster, that it was Hitler's plan throughout those years to deceive England for as long as possible concerning his true intentions, and that Herr Ribbentrop's sole mission in our country was to orchestrate this deception. I hear people today talking as though they were never for a moment taken in by Herr Ribbentrop, as though Lord Darlington was alone in believing Herr Ribbentrop an honourable gentleman and developing a working relationship with him. The truth is that Herr Ribbentrop was, throughout the 30s, a well-regarded figure, even a glamorous one, in the very best houses. Well, I put it to you, Mr Stevens, <laughs> that may not be entirely true. Bit of butler spin there. I'm going to write, read you a little story from November 1936. Well, there you go. Perfect. Invited to stay as a house guest of the 7th Marquess of Londonderry at Winard Hall in County Durham in November 1936, Ribbentrop was taken to a service in Durham Cathedral and the hymn Glorious Things of the Spoken... This is funny. Oh. As the organ played the opening bars, identical to the German national anthem, Ribbentrop stood up, gave the Nazi a salute and had to be restrained by his host. So, I like the fact that he, every day he called some London tailor to his thing, yeah. to, supposedly to buy some suits, and then never saw them. He did uh, this so repeatedly that he was sort of blacklisted. They blacklisted him. <laughs> and uh, it's an arse. Yeah. He did actually do a Nazi salute at, when to he first George went, the Sixth. Yes, who tried to shake his hand In and nearly knocked him out. Ribbentrop committed. A, this is great. Ribbentrop committed a notable social gaffe by unexpectedly greeting George the Sixth with the German greeting the stiff-armed Nazi salute. Oh the God. gesture nearly knocked over the king. He created who a was walking forward to shake his head. <laughs> He's just a massive idiot. Massive idiot. You know, and a charlatan. Really, yes, well, know. he was a wine salesman. Yeah. That's yeah. what he'd been. Actually, his early life, he's just a grifter. Yeah. Massive grifter. And he, and he met Hitler by proposing that he was going to start selling German champagne across Europe and outdo the French in yeah. the champagne market, and Hitler should support him. He convinced Hitler as well. The British aristocracy were generally in charge of the country. Were riddled with fascism. Well, they had also they had influence. That the king, the king, and the aristocrats ran the country. Really, well, he thought the king basically made the laws. Yes, I mean, you believed this. I mean, there there was quite a lot. Of, I mean, if you read up about Nancy Astor and uh, you know there were there was quite a lot of sort of the Anglo-German fellowship. Yes, that was set up. Well, that um, was that, 1935 to 1939 was aimed to build up friendship between the UK. So there was quite a lot of low-level backwards and forwards. Yes, although I saw some kind of British diplomat sort of message about that that said that, that, that the members of that society had gone to a Nuremberg, been invited about 50 of them, yeah. and and sort of cited said that a bigger collection of sort of nutters and and stupid people from Britain you've never seen in yeah. your life. Yeah. It was it was it was, a, it was a real ragbag collection yeah. of, of of strange people who Ribbentrop had sort of put together yeah. to invite them. So Nancy Astor was the first first sitting woman MP. There was another woman MP before her, but she was from Sinn Féin, so she never took up her seat. Oh, I see. So okay, Nancy Astor was the first sitting That's MP. That's interesting. Uh, American, naturalised British, um, and had did have some dodgy views, but quite anti-Semitic. And, Very anti-Semitic, uh, and, I'm afraid. Uh, she, she hosted some dodgy stuff at Cliveden. But Cliveden? Was, Cliveden, I say you said. Cliveden? Cliveden. 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 It's pronounced Cliveden. You're not, you're not, oh, getting, you're not getting invited for dinner. It's definitely pronounced Cliveden. Uh, the Cliveden set, yeah. they were called. Well, it's, uh, it's supposedly over-egged in terms of their influence, but they did get together. They try and make a distinction, historians, between people who were appeasers and people who were friend friends of the Nazis, that there are two different types yeah. of people operating here. So obviously we're thinking that Lord Darlington in the book, Stevens wants to portray him as an appeaser who who is basically feels that the Versailles Treaty 
was unfair and that reparations imposed upon Germany were causing such a big problem and the French insisting on these reparations. Anyway, the alleged conspiracies were Nancy Astor was the leader of it, uh, Geoffrey Dawson, the editor of The Times, Lord Halifax, so interesting, Lord Darlington, Lord Halifax. This extraordinary guy, the Duke of Manchester, who had no interest in politics at all, was just a a terrible uh, gambler and uh, waster. And then the one I'm interested in is Lord Lothian, Philip Kerr, or Carr. I don't know, which way would you go with that? Uh, Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this guy, Carr, is uh, Lord Lothian. He's a very interesting figure. So I, he's he's a candidate for Lord Darlington, or elements of... I mean, he's a confection, isn't he, Lord yeah. Darlington, of all these yeah. people. Marcus of Lothian. His, his, um, his mum was the daughter of the Duke of Norfolk. and There's a Norfolk connection. Um, he went to Oxford. He was known as being androgynous yeah. and narcissistic. His nickname was Narcissus. What was it? He was addicted to golf. <laughs> <laughs> it tells you something about the man. He had no interest in romantic relations with women. It was assumed that he was a repressed homosexual. He had a breakdown in 1911, became a Christian scientist. Oh, well, Nancy Esther was a Christian scientist as well. Oh, yeah, so there's a bit of that going on. Um, and in fact, when he, fi- he finally died in 1940, he was the ambassador of the United States by then. Um, but he died because he refused to have medical intervention when he was ill. He was uh, appointed Lloyd George's private secretary in 1916, and this is when he starts to have serious influence. Lloyd George hated reading memos and delegated the task to Kerr, who had then discussed whatever information he thought pertinent with the Prime Minister. So he became Lloyd George's gatekeeper for many years, actually, quite a few years. And particularly, he was very influential at the, Vers- the drafting the Versailles Treaty. He sort of typed up British, the British yeah. um, demands, as it were, which, of course, then he felt had gone a bit wrong, ultimately. Yeah. In the book, 1922-23 mm-hmm. is mentioned that there's going to be a big conference in 1923. They have a, at the House, they have a conference of March 1923. Yeah. Now, that's all very interesting about that because uh, by that point, Kerr's position had, had changed quite a lot, that he was... The French had invo- invaded the Ruhr in yeah. January 1923, yeah. just before that. Uh, he was very against this, Kerr. And uh, so then that was what turned him into, I think, in the end, he ends up being... A, a Nazi, a friend to the Nazis, an enthusiast for Nazi Germany, I'm afraid. He was, um, so he was targeted very much amongst the Cliveden set as somebody, he, uh, he was called Lord Loathsome <laughs> for being too friendly with the Germans. Interestingly, he says in 1933, there probably never was a time of more uncertainty in the world than today. Every kind of political and economic philosophy is seeking approbation yeah. And there is every kind of uncertainty about social and personal habits. Right. So I think he was quite an odd person. Do you know where he made that speech, interestingly? No. He made it at Gresham School. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, his, 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 his posh house was Blickling Hall, which you wouldn't know. But it's very know. near Gresham School. He ended up, obviously, every time I see, um, he says, every time I see Ribbentrop and every time I know anybody going to Nazi headquarters, I tell him to tell them that the present obstacle to better Anglo-German relations today is the persecution of the Christians, Jews and liberal pacifists. So in the end, he had to realise that Germany wasn't just about repatriating the Rhineland and, no. and getting its status back and economic there recovery. There were things going on. And he had to, he, he, even he had to, had to agree that. And then yeah. he, he ended up going off to America. <laughs> 
The Marquis of Lothian, British ambassador in Washington, returns to the United States and makes his last speech to America through the newsreels prior to his death. I'm very glad to be back in the United States, though I'm very sorry to leave England. I've never been in a country before where the whole population is in the front-line trenches, where rich and poor, men and women, and even children, share the comradeship of the trenches. There's no difference of opinion at all in England. There's complete national unity. They mean to beat Hitler, and they're confident that in the end they will do it. The pond is not a large one, a quarter of a mile around its perimeter perhaps, so that by stepping out to any promontory, one can command a view of its entirety. An atmosphere of great calm pervades here. Trees have been planted all around the water just closely enough to give a pleasant shade to the banks, while here and there clusters of tall reeds and bulrushes break the water's surface and its still reflection of the sky. My footwear is not such as to permit me easily to walk around the perimeter. I can see even from where I now sit the path disappearing into areas of deep mud, but I will say that such is the charm of this spot that on first arriving I was sorely tempted to do just that. Only the thought of the possible catastrophes that might befall such an expedition and of sustaining damage to my travelling suit persuaded me to content myself with sitting here on this bench, and so I have done for the past half hour. So uh, we are uh, behind uh, White Hill House. Which We're just by the village of Mere. We're just outside Mere, which you will recognise if you've ever driven down the A303 to Cornwall, just past Stonehenge, There's a the, the road drops down back off Salisbury Plain. I think Mere is the first village off the plain Mm-hmm. It's quite an impressive church as you come over the hill. Yes, yeah, rather beautiful scene, isn't it? It's another good. It's another good sort of remains of the day site of Woodstock trout fishery. Woodstock. We've been in Woodstock, man. We're in Woodstock. The unfortunate truth is that because it's now a trout fishery, you can't get in. We yeah. managed to <laughs> accidentally drive in to someone's house. Yes, uh, and got a good view of the pond on the way in. And it was spot on, wasn't it's it? Very beautiful. In the book, it's called Mortimer's Pond. Yeah. And he's basically he stops off, doesn't he? Because he's got radiator trouble. He stops off in a, a he stops off at a rather fine house, and the the uh, the Batman, the Colonel's Batman, the Colonel's Batman, who is now his his valet, general, his general butler, gopher, yeah, valet, and chauffeur, says uh, uh, is very nice to him, and then says you must go and check out Mortimer's Pond, and he drives. It's a beautiful spot, about half a mile, he says. So about half a mile. So there are some quite grand old houses around Mere. So there are being one of those. Uh, White Hill House itself is rather grand. It does look like a, kind of, a retired colonel could live there. A retired colonel could live there. And the pond is very, very, uh, is very suitable. Yes, it is. But it's, it's worth saying it there are a look. lot of ponds around here. Well, it's called Mere. It's called Mere. And there's, a, there's just an awful lot of water around here, isn't there? It's very, it's, very, it's, it's very lovely here, but you can't actually... Where we're standing, we're standing in the woods behind the pond on a public footpath well they haven't maintained the public footpath no, the a the footpath not really maintained and b there is barbed wire all the way around you can't yeah. even so i wouldn't even fancy climbing over that yeah so in the 50s everyone was free to just go and look around a pond well it's famously a more easygoing time <laughs> yeah my uh, observation was that if you've stayed in salisbury for the night and you're driving around here and you want to go and see a beauty spot yeah 
you go and see Stonehenge. He doesn't mention Stonehenge. Well, if you're on a, the one holiday that you've had in 30 years and you're driving down here yeah. and you want to see the cultural highlights, you go and see the Henge. It's quite deliberately architected as well because he makes him drive straight down to Salisbury. So where he would have been driving from on the... We'd have to call them the Berkshire Downs, Mr. Ishiguro, not the or not Oxfordshire. Yeah, um, he would have he would have he wouldn't driven past Stonehenge, so Stonehenge would have been to the west of him as he drove south to Salisbury. Would it? No, but he's got no interest in driving out of his he way. He wants to sit on a bench and stare into the pond. Well, as you said in the car, this is a man who's clearly depressed. He's quite depressed. <laughs> Um, and it's rather, it's rather. He's sad. always looking for a bench to sit on and then fact, stare out for half be, an hour. He may be quite close to snapping in the next few days. Do we Ooh. think? Oh, do we think he might just lose it and, well, we go into a <laughs> very dark place, which isn't even mentioned in the book. Well, we'll come to that. We'll come to that. <laughs> we'll come to that. But he's, he does feel like it's, he's it's quite, quite an interesting conclusion we've come to. <laughs> we've, and I think we'll leave that. We've realised this isn't the book you yeah, think it is. We'll leave it <laughs> later on. There's another. We've got a different ending There's to this a hidden book. book inside this book. <laughs> but if you were driving from Salisbury via the back lanes, yeah, this we've just driven down the A303, yeah, which is the big good. road, then you, would have, you wouldn't have driven past Stonehenge. You would have driven... You would have cut it out. Cut it true, out. true. But I'm just saying, I don't like his where he stops. So I don't. But he's got his. Book I mean, when we're driving around here, there are lots of lovely things to see, and he's not seeing them. Yeah. Well, there's only there's only there's one very big thing to see, right? Which is Stonehenge itself. Yeah, but even so, this, I, I I don't like his I don't like his plan. No, it's not my plan. If I was in the car with him, I'd be saying, why are we stopping here? Well, if you're in the car with him, he'd be really depressed. Um, okay, so uh, shall we head towards pond tick? Pond Mortimer's Pond. Mortimer's tick. Pond. We found a very good candidate for yeah, Mortimer's yeah. Pond. The other reason I like this is it's just inside Dorset. Ah, because that's he, he does say that it's just over the border to Dorset. Yes. Um, so uh, you're doing all Ishiguri's work for him, aren't you? Well, we both. In terms are. of border control, we're just thirty years too late. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm your, I'm your local government advisor, Mr. Ishiguri. <laughs> <laughs> border <laughs> consultant I've, I'm here I'm here to make sure you get some basic facts about the, I think uh, there's probably the local government a, a lot of literary right. publishers there's a there's a job to be had of fact in, independent border consultants in, independent county border consultant we should set ourselves up <laughs> as fact checkers <laughs> So uh, we've reached the end of part one of our uh, Remains of the Day adventure. Yes. How many counties have we been through now? Do you know? You're the, county, to, you're the county guard. We've been to uh, Oxfordshire. One. Berkshire. Two. Uh, Wiltshire. Two. Three. Uh, and Dorset. Four. Four. Four counties bad, in one podcast. If you were valuing this podcast by county... You'd just, by well, well, just by mileage. Just by mileage. So uh, in part two, uh, we're, going, we're going to Taunton, and we're going to Dartmoor, and we're going to Weymouth. I think that's another three counties, isn't another, it? Another, at least another three another counties. Another three counties. Um, and uh, if you want to listen to that right now, uh, you can subscribe to our Patreon page for the mere two pounds. Mm. Uh, it's there right now waiting for you to listen to on the server, and it doesn't have any ads in it. Yeah, so you can you get the second half of the road trip. Yeah. What is that you're singing? I made it up. I'm oh, excited. Right. Road, road trip. trip. It sounds like yeah, a beer run or something. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so it's there, it's there and waiting for you. It's two pounds. Check it, check it out uh, right now. Uh, and we'll, otherwise, we'll be back in a week 
with the second part of this adventure. Who uh, knows where Stevens will go in his little Ford? Who knows where Stevens will go and also what he's up to? Ooh.